Mark Tardy is one of those people whom you may not know the name, but you 100% know his work. Where to start? He was briefly a major league pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers, where the first two batters he faced in County Stadium were Dwight Evans and Jim Rice. He did modeling shoots in Italy and the Seychelles Islands. Then he began his real calling as a Hollywood producer, bringing us movies like The Rookie, Invincible, Secretariat, Million Dollar Arm, and now The Kurt Warner Story. His movies almost always have a message about the underdog, but Mark himself, he's a sneaky superstar. I'd like to welcome someone who Shakespeare would absolutely say is a man in full, a major league pitcher, a European model, and now the producer that is the go-to guy for just about every inspirational sports story. So welcome, Mark Charty. Thank you. Thank for, uh, thanks for having me, Leslie. Appreciate it. Yeah, I've, I feel like we've circled each other so many times, and I hope you can still have respect for me because... Um, I actually was invited and I did do the racing, the sausage race in Miller Park. Oh, gosh. Hopefully it wasn't after a home run that I gave up, you know? <laughs> no, but I was, first of all, as you know, no one cares who's inside the costume, right? Because That's it's true. for yeah. Clemens sausages. So I was stosh and, you know, all those kids are competitive and people don't realize that that costume is like seven feet high. It's like a case of beer, you know, on your head. And um, it's funny that my husband used a terrapin analogy. You, they all sprint, right? And you come around a home plate and it's so easy to topple over and you would never get up. You'd be an <laughs> upside down turtle. That's right. Actually, I pitched it at uh, Memorial Stadium. So it wasn't Miller yet. That's how long ago. Oh, right. Yeah. Did they, did they have the sausages? They still had it. Yeah. I, God, it's been a while. Yeah, they had they had some version of that, as I recall. Yeah, I was rather disappointed with your portrayal of a sportscaster in The Rookie. I mean, is all you think we do is shake a hand and put on a jacket? That's right. You know, that was my big part. I think we lost an actor that day. And and uh, I guess I had my my SAG card and they they recruited me. And all of a sudden I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm Tim. I forgot my name. Tim. Tim, Tim Stewart. Tim Stewart. Yeah. A made up name. So there you go. And a made up uh, sportscaster. No preparation for that? Zero. No, I just nail it. You know, if you give me one line, I'm OK. <laughs> well, every every single person I know has seen uh, The Rookie and uh, it came into your life unexpectedly. Yeah, well, actually, that, that kind of got our career going. Um, uh, I actually had just gotten into the film business and I was sitting in a doctor's office in summer of 1999, working out of a garage. And I'm reading this article about, and I think Sports Illustrated about this, this 35 year old science teacher that, you know, explained the story behind it. And he's now in AAA, you know, that the, the kids challenged him, he was thrown to them. And then at the very end of the article, I was like, man, this is unbelievable. And then it said he, you know, Jim Morris signed in 1983 with the Brewers. And I didn't even, I didn't even really look at the name of the picture. And I was like, that's when I signed. So I actually played with Jim. And uh, and that was the big break that that I certainly got. And, uh, you know, it was, it was pretty wild because that that little story that uh, that, that, that was all all mine. Uh, suddenly, Bill Plasky did an article because the Rays came to play the Angels. And on the sports, the front of the sports page is this article about Jim Morris. 
and every single studio and every writer and every direct, everyone went after this. And, and, uh, we had kind of gotten in there first and I played with Jim for three years and God, we roomed together one year. So, um, you know, ended up ending up securing the rights and, uh, and that was our first movie and, and, uh, got it made and got thrown on a set, not really knowing how to do it, but, uh, we'll try it by error. And, uh, it was just a great one to do out of the gates with, uh, someone I knew and, and a sport that I loved and you know, I felt I could bring some authenticity to it. And, you know, Mike Rich wrote a fantastic script and John Lee Hancock directed a great movie. So it was a great one to come out of the gates with. That was for sure. When you were filming it, did you ever think, wow, at 35, you know, maybe I, maybe I quit too soon or maybe I could make some kind of comeback. Well, you know, uh, no, <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't believe. I wasn't going to mention your ER. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, uh, I, Good minor league stats. Now I'd gotten up basically for this cup of coffee and it's funny, Jim and my career kind of bisected, you know, I, I started going up and he kind of stayed down in single a and had some injuries. And then finally, once I got sent up or got called up to the big leagues and got sent down. And then the next year, my, my, I had some shoulder problems and, you know, I felt like it was time to retire. I, I, I definitely wanted to, to retire before they asked me to. And, uh, you know, I felt like there was other things to do in my life and, you know, listen, with minor league, they tie you up for six years. So I would have had to play another, you know, whole year and a whole nother year after that. And I just didn't want to be the guy, you know, closing in on 30 on his fifth ball team, rounding out a triple A roster. So I got out and wanted to do other things. And, uh, and then I see Jim Morris who had arm problems and had surgery. And then all of a sudden he's thrown 10 miles an hour harder than when we played together. So no, I don't think I could have matched that. A uh, amazing story, one in a million stories. So happy to be on the other side of the camera uh, producing it. Even, I mean, you you filmed some of it live, right, at Arlington? Yeah, we and... we, we ran Dennis Quaid out. Um, in fact, there was a, I'm doing a movie now, um, actually about a 59-year-old guy goes back and plays a senior college football named Mike Flint. It's called The Senior. And we have a guy working on that movie that, actually was in the stands that night for that game and watched us run Dennis in. He was kind of young teenage kid and uh, recounted that. Yeah. We got two runs in from center field during, during the, um, during the break, he ran all the way to the mound. And then when the game ended, we, we invited everyone down from the, from the, uh, at the, when the Rangers were playing. Did you get a rush, like, you know, a, a feeling of, yeah, I forgot or. I know it was, it definitely brought me back. Uh, again, that's a new stadium. There's so many new stadiums since when I played to even when we shot that, but uh, it was great, you know, being down in the field and and having that connection with sports again. Yeah. It, it, it reminds you of uh, what you missed about it and uh, all the guys. And so uh, it's fun for me to, to make sports movies, even though I I'm not playing anymore. It's uh, it's a great way to keep that connection. I did um, an all-star game at the other uh, ballpark in Arlington, and it was, um, I think it was like 106 degrees on yeah, the field. I mean, like cows were dropping dead, you know, outside the stadium. And I remember Mike Piazza, everybody's dripping. And Mike Piazza says, how hot does it have to be before they call it off? That's like just one of the hottest places in I America. don't think they, I can't remember ever having a game called off because of heat. I mean, you know, and then you have those <laughs> turf fields that, you know, would just radiate up. Yeah, it's a different time now. Tell me about the minors. Our buddy Dan Duquette says he scouted you. And I asked him where. And he was like, well, Beloit or Stockton or Denver yeah. or El Paso. I mean, how many places were you in? Yeah, I forgot. I forgot Dan's title then. He was kind of some 
you know, executive and minor league. Uh, he was a young guy then too, like, like we all were, but, uh, yeah, Dan, Dan was very buttoned up at the time. Yeah. We used to like to, uh, goof around with, with, with the executives that came in. He was, he was a nice guy. He was always nice to me. And, uh, yeah, it's funny. I remember all those guys, Bruce Mano, Dan Dekel, all the, all the coaches. Cause you know, my bigger memory is probably all the minor league stops. Cause and I think baseball is harder than any, any, uh, any professional sport to, to, to make it to the top. Cause you've got to climb through, you know, rookie ball. Usually now they've gone to one single A team per team, but two single A's, a double A, a triple A, then the big league. So, you know, each, each time there's less and less guys, there's a funnel that, that only a few guys can keep moving up. Uh, so I was lucky to, to make it all the way up. And, and that's, that was my, my, my memories are really from the, the four years I spent in the minors, not the part of the one year. Is being in the minors, I uh, eat a lot of pizza and you say this bus ride, it's either fun or it stinks. I mean, what, what how do you describe? I, I remember, um, I think we got $11 meal money a day. Uh, I made my first year, I made $600 a month. That was my salary. And I signed for 2,500. So I, you know, you, it's, we had to go to the AMP and get food after like you, you struggle for sure. You know, you definitely struggle. And, uh, but you love it. You know, I had a one bedroom apartment with four guys and like, couldn't be happier at the time, just cause you're playing professional baseball. And even though they weren't paying you a lot, you actually got a check that said Milwaukee Brewers on it. And it was, uh, you know, I always had to pinch myself, but, uh, no, it was, it was bus rides, um, you know, long, long nights. No, you're with these guys for seven months and, and, and then it ends. And then sometimes you never see them again. But uh, if you, if you run into these guys, you're brought back to those, that those days when, when you're around everybody, they're like, you know, having 25 brothers. So do you add, do um, pitchers learn pitches in the minors or you came out of Maryland with the pitches that you have? I think you can modify it. And there's definitely pitches you can learn. I, I don't think I learned new pitches. Like I know the cutters were a big thing then, um, you know, fork ball, uh, but I just threw a change up hard slider and a fastball. And I could throw those three pitches, you know, kind of down in the count. That's the big thing that you had to learn is if you're down 2-0 or 2-1 in the count, you know, in, in college, in high school, you're throwing a fastball. Here, the, you better throw a slider over for a changeup over for a strike because they're, they're going to be, you know, guessing fastball. So that's the big thing is the consistency as you move up the minors. These guys just become better and better hitters and the pitchers become smarter. And, you know, you can't get away with things you might have gone away with and, in, in high school or college. I mean, you even see it now, these guys throwing 100, 101, 102 miles an hour, and these guys are turning on it. If you keep throwing fastballs, I just still think that a, a changeup is the most underrated pitch because when you see guys throw it, you can't, it's the one thing you can't time, you know? And, uh, but I still love, you know, watching games. Now it's the best time of year with the, with the playoffs. So. Did you feel that getting to the, the pros, get, uh, being a, a major league pitcher, and pitching for whatever was a year that that satisfied whatever that itch was going to be. And you were going to do it until you got on the major league mound or. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. I think having gotten up, it would, it made it probably easier to leave um, before it was too late, you know, before, you know, I was always mindful of that, of like not overstaying my welcome. And I, I always wanted to be going up and uh, cause I just saw so many guys, where you knew that they weren't ever going to get up and they're chasing a dream that probably wasn't going to happen. And, you know, listen, I'm, I make movies about underdog stories. So, um, but I, I did having gotten up, it, it definitely satisfied something, you know, very lucky. And 
again, it's just the way they, I just didn't want to spend two more years in the minor leagues potentially. And, and, uh, you know, wait for a trade or wait, you know, for another team to pick me up after I just, uh, I just always knew that I know when to get out. And that's, you know, that's, I just, it was my decision. Talk with my dad at the time. I was it. Never looked back. Uh, you do, you do underdog stories. No one does them better. The, the movies, um, I don't know, every, every one of them, you know, miracle makes you, they all make you cry in a way that makes you feel better. And um, I'm wondering is, uh, do you see the cat in the picture now when the story comes to you, you kind of know right away? Yeah. I think after, you know, being in the business 21, 22 years, you know, I, I think initially they're all great stories. Every story that comes to me, you know, or I look at, you're like, man, that's amazing. But I think you have to, you have to look in terms of structure and, and does, does a story, can it become a movie? How do you, you know, how do the acts break down? Does it, does it have a low point? Does, uh, you know, it has to kind of, you know, Tom Brady, I, I don't know what the movie is there, you know, aside from him getting drafted in the sixth round, the guy's just had nothing but success. Hasn't had to overcome much, you know, <laughs> right. I mean, mostly through hard work. The Ferris wheel doesn't come down. Yeah. So, uh, but like a movie like Invincible with, you know, Vince Papali, I mean, you know, here's a guy that, that grew up loving the Eagles and, and uh, you know, he's, he's a bartender and, and, and all of a sudden he, you know, he's been told he can never do something. And uh, he gets a, a chance through Dick Vermeil, you know, having this crazy open track tryout and and uh you know you, you go take that chance and 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 there you go he's you know 33 34 years old and he makes the team i mean those are just great stories and it's never really about how much how much success you have it's really about a lot of times just getting on the field and what that's like and uh you know so especially those more personal ones like 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 his story or jim morris with, with invincible or million dollar arm or or mcfarland these are these are not well-known stories you know uh, but even in the well-known stories, like, like miracle, um, like invincible, or I'm sorry, like secretariat, for instance, I mean, that was the greatest racehorse ever. So what's, you got to find what the underdog story is. And and in that one, we found that it was Penny Chenry who, you know, who became, you know, who had to kind of uh, right. oversee the horse and take over the farm. And you put all the pressure on her that she had to literally bet the farm for her to kind of survive. And, and, I and that's where Big it is. I met Big Red once. Uh, did you ever amazing. meet Big, Big Red? I didn't, but I, but I certainly it was everywhere he was, you know. He had that aura around him, you know, that you just feel like when, you know how you don't have to look, but if Jordan came into a room, you know it. No, everybody knows. Yeah. You've done, it seems, every sport except cricket. I mean, do you now say, huh, I would love to know about that sport or it's it starts strictly with the story? I think it starts with the story. You know, I think there's some sports that are easier to, to maybe do than others, you know? I mean, we have to look at is most of these stories, most of these sports don't really travel internationally, right? You know, I would say football starting to a little bit, but maybe basketball does, but, uh, you know, baseball is pretty, they're all domestic sports. So they're tricky to set up at studios because you're kind of giving up maybe part of that, you know, box office income or, or viewership overseas. So you have to make up for it, you know, either to, to shoot it for a certain price or really have it over indexed. And that's what I, you know, kind of knew from my Disney movies that, that, you know, they, they certainly did well in the box office, but what they did better than all others were they had this life after, you know, they're still showing these even on network television, these they're kind of evergreen. So, you know, that value is hard to, you know, put on a movie when you're making it, you know, but, but that value continues for 20, 30 years, you know, after. Oh no, they're, they're, they are evergreen. Does it ever, uh, did it happen to you like with Million Dollar Arm 
Uh, we saw how the NBA has made great inroads into Africa. Were you thinking when you were over there, well, why not baseball here? Yeah, I think that's what the, the guys that created that, that, uh, that, you know, event there, you know, it was kind of a reality show. They wanted to find a pitcher, you know? So uh, I know that there's an Academy over there with, with major league baseball. And it really just takes that one guy to have a lot of success where then you can peel off X amount of cricket players, you know, it's same motion. So the idea was great. You know, I mean, I think a lot of these sports are becoming more international, you know um, I mean, basketball is the, the, the best, uh, you know, and, and truest, you know, kind of uh, result of that, you know, cause they, I mean, it's literally from everywhere in the world. Um, that's why I think that sport is doing so well and, and why the popularity of the players are so well, cause they are, it's definitely international. I always say that um, sports is the ultimate passport. I mean, tell me about, modeling was that totally out of your wheelhouse and all of a sudden you're in Europe no that was it was funny because I I mean when, when I finished with baseball it, it actually going back I'm not going to talk I won't dive into it too much but when I I got an agent Dennis Gilbert uh who was in Beverly Hills he represented all the great kind of Milwaukee players and was lucky enough to kind of have him represent me and he asked me I'd just been put on the big league roster and he said you know do you have an agent I'm like not really and he's like well can I represent you and I said sure so he said, where are, you, where are you training? And I said, well, my high school in New Jersey. And sometimes I go down to University of Maryland. He goes, now you should come out to California. A lot of my guys work out of UCLA. So that, that's all I had to hear. I went out, moved out to LA. And then, you know, honestly, just I didn't want to have to get a job. So I actually just went into a modeling agency and because for just more out of just laziness of not wanting to have to, you know, work at a bar or something. And luckily, I kind of started working slowly and then, you know, started working more the next year and, and, and did some commercials. And then, you know, God, by my third year, I was making a lot more in the four months in the off season than I was for the whole season. And, uh, and then when I, when I finished with baseball, you know, I came back to LA and thought, you know, maybe I'd act and, and, uh, you know, I was doing some modeling and then just went over to Europe. Uh, I wanted to just, you know, kind of go over there and see Europe. There were a lot of European clients shooting in, in both LA and Florida and, and uh, spent some time in Germany and then, you know, Milan and then Paris and, and uh, spent three years actually over in Europe. Uh, the money was great. You know, I didn't enjoy doing the job, but I, after baseball, which was so structured, you know, it was, it was kind of great to just go off and I could live in any city and uh, I'd go on these trips everywhere. It, it was, it was great. And it was a, a means to an end because I knew I just wanted to save some money and then get into my next business. Tell me about the, um, sort of internal challenge of it. Like you said, baseball, well, football too, they are very much, here's your hotel key. This is the time of the bus, you know, this is when you'll pick up your paycheck. But now all of a sudden, um, weren't you dealing with different cultures and food and um, producers? Yeah, that's part of what I liked about it, you know, because of the structure with baseball, you know, every, I mean, I, my my life from high school, college on, you know, uh, was, was the same, get to the park around two, depending on if you're on the road, it's the same. I mean, I loved it, but it's like, you're very, you know, it is the same. And then you have the off season, you get a little break, but I, I love just being able to do absolutely what I wanted to do, um, and, and go where I wanted to go and, and see the world. And, you know, I was lucky enough to do some campaigns that's, that were kind of everywhere and, you know, working in Paris and working in Milan, but, you know, taking trips, all over the world, Seychelles Islands, uh, you know, God, over, yeah, islands everywhere. Do you ever say to yourself, this is a hoot? 
I mean, it's the exact opposite of going around with the guys in the minor league. Yeah, no, it was totally different. But uh, I, I remember being in Greece and I had done a, a cigarette ad and and the billboards were like every single ad was this huge billboard. So, um, I mean, it was mostly in Athens, but uh, now you see yourself, I guess, in magazines and, and uh, but, you know, honestly, I did, it was it was more of just a job to make money and save to try to do something. I always knew I wanted to do something else. And when the opportunity arose to come back to California, back to LA, um, you know, I had friends uh, that were in the film business and, and, and basically just said, why not? You know, figured I'd try it. And, uh, and then, you know, you find these small little pieces of success, but it, it was, you know, a couple of years of making no money and writing checks. It's uh, you gotta, you gotta really commit. I had a weird sort of experience like that. I don't know in the nineties, late nineties, I guess, mid, late nineties, if how much you were in Chicago, but do you remember if you'd go from O'Hare downtown, they had on the side of a building, like Michael Jordan, they were 30 feet high. It was painted right. on the side of a building. I don't remember. So it was, um, Joe Mantegna, Scotty Pippen, Michael Jordan, and myself. Nice. And every Good time company. I took a cab from O'Hare, I'd say, Oh, who are those people? And I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Mark for two years, people say, well, of course that's Michael Jordan. And that's Scotty Pippen. And no one knows who the lady is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they knew. Of course. No, they, they didn't. No, I'm not kidding. No? I ask these cab drivers, you know, all the time, but, um, tell me, uh, what, what's a story that came to you or a couple of them that you just couldn't pull the trigger on. And now you're saying, Hmm, should I go back to it? Well, I'd say none. Every, every, I mean, I'm doing this movie, like I said, the senior, um, and it's, uh, starring Michael Chiklis and he plays a 59 year old guy he goes back and, uh, plays a senior in college football. I went and got these rights in 2007. So 14 years later, uh, making the movie. And uh, actually, the movie Safety that was on uh, Disney Plus last year, uh, I got those rights in 2006 when Ray McElrathay was a was a freshman at Clemson. He's now a 33 year old father, um, and uh, and hopefully doing a movie about Horian Gracie, uh, who uh, created the UFC. And I first met Horian back in 2007. So you just you got to keep grinding. Are you involved with the Kurt Warner story? Yeah produce that you are yeah now tell me that really intrigues me because of course he's so faith-based i had a wonderful i was on the ram sideline when they beat tennessee and oh, wow. uh you know it was just it was so exciting because remember mike jones stopped dyson on the one yeah, half yard right line with his arm stretched yeah right there yeah if he'd only been taller that's what he always yeah. said i just been a little bit taller <laughs> but um as you know kurt is so faith-based that does that have to come in to play with Who's who I'd say it's more general audience. You know, I think the, the faith is uh, a part of it and it feels very organic. It doesn't overtake the movie, um, you know, and, and that's, I think, how Kurt and, and Brenda wanted it, where it's it's definitely in there. And uh, I'd say it's more, you know, for maybe a church going, you know, but I, I think you can enjoy it. Uh, I mean, this is who he was, you know, and uh, and it's such an amazing story, as you know. I mean, it, I remember watching it unfold and 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 I said. You know, I remember where I was watching that Super Bowl is like, that's going to be a movie. And for Dick Vermeil. So I got to make two movies with uh, Dick Vermeil. And uh, and I had actually talked to Greg Kinnear, who played him in Invincible. And I said, Greg, what, what about playing the same character in two completely different movies by two completely different companies? I don't think that's ever happened before. And uh, he couldn't ultimately do it. But uh, 
but you know, we got Dennis Quaid, who's Greg's good friend. And now I like to tease Greg that, uh, you know, that uh, Quaid did such a better job than him, but uh, no, they, they, they both, uh, it's funny, both completely different performances, you know, Greg's a little more reserved and Dennis is, you know, a little more gregarious, but uh, uh, you know, I love this movie. It's coming out Christmas day uh, for Lionsgate in theaters. And yeah, it's, it's fantastic. You know, what's it's interesting that, um, you couldn't see anybody other than Kurt Russell as Herb Brooks, and you couldn't see anybody other than Dennis Quaid in The Rookie. You know, I mean, is yeah. it just that they're so good that we think only they could do it? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's funny. I think my first movie, there was a moment with The Rookie that George Clooney was going to play it, and uh, and then he was out. As quick as, as he was in, he was out. And then uh, I know we saw Michael Douglas for Miracle, and, uh, and it didn't work out with Michael. And yeah, you, I, I always look at it if it's... If you don't get an actor, then it's meant to be somebody else. Tell me about you growing up. East Brunswick is where you're from? No, uh, I was born in New Brunswick, but grew up in Piscataway. Who were your Yankees? Probably Bobby Mercer, the earliest. And then um, and then it went to the, the Yankees were not that great in the early 70s. And then the Mets, you know, in I think 69, 73. So watching Tom Seaver and all those guys. But uh but then later, it was like by the mid-70s, I was more of a Yankee fan. And, and then really 77 with Chambliss and all those guys, months. And those, those, those five years from 77 to 81 were, were amazing. I mean, that's when I was in high school and really had the dream to play baseball. And they were, I mean, you just were glued to the television every night. It had such great teams. And you had Steinbrenner and you had Billy Martin. So much drama, you know, uh, Reggie Jackson. Who I got to that—that that was a strange one when I actually faced him in in spring training. Um, you know that that was certainly an idol of mine. And when you faced him as a hitter, yeah, yeah, pitched against him. He was with the Angels. You know, I can't remember if I, you know, I should just say I struck him out, but uh, you should I, just I, say I, that. Three I can't pitches. remember what what I, I remember him swinging at and missing at a couple, but it was like very early on in spring training, and uh, he was nice. Talked to him a little bit afterwards, but. Uh, you know, I, I my first game in the major leagues was against the uh, Boston Red Sox and uh, I had to face Jim Rice and Dwight Evans, first two batters. And this is after the 86. This is 87. So after the 86, uh, they were just in the World Series and, you know, the whole Buckner and all that. It was like probably, you know, four months later, you know, same exact team. So it was pretty wild. Did you go to Yankee Stadium? Did you go to games? I've been there. I, I wasn't able to, to pitch there, but I've, I've been to many. Like as a kid? I mean, your family would. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not not too much, but but definitely we went there and and it was like, you know, hallowed grounds. You know, it was uh, amazing. Um, actually doing a, a little movie for Netflix, uh, Mike Lupica novel called Heat. Uh, and it's a it's kind of a middle school, you know, kind of a little league uh, movie uh, book that he wrote that. Uh, really connected with on he wrote it about 15 years ago but we're making it for netflix and going to be shooting in yankee stadium this summer so really excited about that and uh mike's a great guy yeah i've i've survived him mike lupica was my sports editor in college oh really <laughs> yeah. so you know how you think you're never going to see Suffers these people no again and yeah. mike was just what he is now like we were at boston college went to bc and we were in college and mike as a junior would be writing columns for the Boston College paper that Yaz ought to retire. <laughs> Just hang it up. I mean, he was so. <laughs> yeah. He's, I mean, I grew up reading him in the daily news as well. And, and uh, yeah, that was, that was, you know, 
loving sports and growing up around sports and, you know, even yourself watching you many, many years, it's, uh, it's fun when you get to meet people that you, you grew up listening to and watching and, uh, you know, Marv Albert, Marv Albert was another one that, that I got to, I, I put him and Boomer in a movie uh, called the new, uh, called the game plan. And, uh, and I've stayed friendly with, with Marv and just spoke to him in fact the other day and he's just retired. So I try to do some projects with him, but what a great guy. And like, just that voice, you know, and it's growing up, I used to listen to him on a transistor radio and, and, you know, 1969, uh, you know, listening to Nick's games. Uh, would you like to act a little more or are you exactly where you should be no. now? And... Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled with what I'm doing. And, and, uh, you know, I'm now working for a company called game one and, uh, and running all their content and, uh, you know, still making movies outside of sports, but, uh, you know, it's an exciting time with, with sports and, uh, sports content, whether it's films or TV or documentaries, I, I kind of love it all. It's such a, you know, such a great business to be in. And, and, you know, I love making movies and, and again, it doesn't have to be on this, on the playing field, but I've kind of obviously got this, this, uh, this business with sports and, and, uh, want to obviously keep that going, but I just love what I do. Yeah. It's keeping me plenty busy yeah, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, just great, you know, making movies and, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're there forever and, uh, you know, the legacy and, you know, inspiring people, it's kind of a great kind of business to be in. So I enjoy it. I, um, I, covered your guy, Greg. I don't know if he'd remember me, but when he was a walk-on at Connecticut, he probably doesn't call himself a walk-on, but your game one partner there. Oh, yeah. And no, he talks about yeah. that. Yeah. He That's was, funny. and you'll have to tell him, I just did a podcast with Ray Allen and Ray Allen talked more about the Big East championship when he went against Allen Iverson and hit the shot <laughs> than he did about his step back three against the Spurs. Yeah. So that Connecticut... Um, tell him, I always say that Jim Calhoun, I think he'd be interesting because he built a dynasty out of the desert. Out of nothing. Well, I just have to tell you, you're so, um, you're so humble for somebody who's done so much, but uh, I, I really, I want to thank you for your time. And we all have to get those, um, was it St. Rita medals? What were the medals? Yeah, that I think it was St. Rita. Yeah. The, the, the patron saint of, uh, can't remember. Yeah, Mike Rich. Like came it was up like impossible odds. Dreams. Or yeah, yeah. That's who you should get on. Is Mike Rich? I mean, he wrote rookie. Uh, he was uncredited on uh, Miracle, but wrote every word. And uh, he wrote he wrote Invincible, and also did Secretary. So he did four four of my like favorite movies. You make people feel better about themselves with those movies. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I appreciate it, Leslie. You're you know you've had a great career yourself, and uh, thanks for having me on. And that's my conversation with Mark Charty. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today on Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you stream your podcast to enjoy new episodes every week. In Conversation with Leslie Visser is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network and is available on the SXM app included with most subscriptions. The executive producer is the great Andrew Emmer, sound design by Robert Moore. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for Sirius XM. And special thanks to Sirius XM senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. Talk to you next week. Sirius XM Podcasts.